It's Monday, January 28th, 2019. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, this is our weekly Monday Bible study and call to prayer. Today, we are continuing our study on the book of Acts, and we are joined by David Wooten, our Florida State Director. David will walk us through Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. Thanks, Herbie, and thanks, everybody, for tuning in to today's episode of the Defender Podcast. We're continuing our study through the book of Acts. This kind of sequel to Luke's gospel, this book of Acts was written by Luke. And today we come to chapter 9, and we look at Saul of Tarsus. We were first introduced to Saul back in chapter 7. He was there at the stoning of Stephen. He was the one that held the coats while the others um, executed uh, that first martyr of the church. And then the Bible says that he went on from there to begin to persecute Christians, to have them arrested for their faith. And uh, then Luke in chapter 8 of um, the book of Acts kind of switches over to an episode with a deacon named Philip and then comes back here in chapter 9 to pick up the story of Saul of Tarsus. So that's where I want to pick up is Acts chapter 1 beginning in verse 9. This is what the Bible says. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and requested letters from him to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any men or women who belonged to the way, he might bring them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he traveled and was nearing Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly flashed around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? he said. I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. But get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the sound but seeing no one. Then Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him into Damascus. He was unable to see for three days and did not eat or drink. There was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, here I am, Lord, he said. Get up and go to the street called Straight, the Lord said to him, to the house of Judas, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, since he is praying there. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and placing his hands on him so he can regain his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard from many people about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has authority here from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, kings, and the Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Ananias left and entered the house. Then he placed his hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road 
you are traveling has sent me to you so that you can regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. At once, something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul was with the disciples in Damascus for some days. So we see here in this passage in the book of Acts uh, more of this person named Saul. We will we're more familiar with him under the name Paul. Paul was the greatest Christian who ever lived. He wrote thirteen or fourteen of our twenty-seven books of the New Testament. He planted churches. He trained elders and pastors. He he led the expanse of the gospel throughout the known world at that time and. Really, outside of Jesus Christ himself, no one has had a greater impact on the Christian church than this one man. Now, his Hebrew name was Saul. That's how we're introduced to him in the Bible in Acts chapter 7. His Roman name, he was also a Roman citizen, his Roman name was Paul. And that's how he's referred to. Uh, Beginning in Acts chapter 13, we'll see when we get to that part in our study in a few weeks, um, That's how he's referred to from then on in the book of Acts. He's referred to as Paul. He usually refers to himself as Paul, except when he's sharing his testimony in Acts chapter 22 and Acts chapter 26. Then he reverts back to referring to himself with his Hebrew name of Saul. So when Luke introduces us to to Saul in Acts chapter 7, it is a a most unlikely scene. It, it's not your typical biography where, okay, he was born, He this was what his childhood was like, this what life at the university in Tarsus was like, then he went to law school in Jerusalem, he worked uh, for the uh, Jewish Supreme Court, as it were, and, um, you know, sometimes a, a, a biography will kind of trace the life, or sometimes a biography will start You know, the opening pages will be kind of the pinnacle of that person's career. Uh, You know, Paul was a missionary. If you look at the maps in the back of your Bible, many of them will have, they'll they'll trace the missionary journeys of Paul. Paul was also a mentor to pastors like Timothy and Titus. He was a theologian. Uh, He wrote the book of Romans, which is a great theological book on the doctrine of salvation. Uh, he, He was inspired of the Holy Spirit to write other books of Scripture, 13 to 14 of our New Testament books. He was a preacher. Four of the ten sermons that are recorded in the book of Acts are by the Apostle Paul. Uh, He was a persecuted saint. He ended up being a martyr as he was beheaded by Nero in Rome. But that's none of those ways, none of those accomplishments are how Luke introduces us to Paul in the book of Acts. The New Testament introduces us to the Apostle Paul as Saul the terrorist. Here he is knocking on the doors of Christians in the middle of the night, uh, pulling out moms and dads, throwing them into the jail, having them beaten and tortured, and some of them even executed. And his goal was to not just persecute the church, but to obliterate Christianity from the face of the earth. He shares more about that when he talks about his testimony in Acts chapter 22 and Acts chapter 26. He he talks about it elsewhere in some of his other letters, in Galatians chapter 1 and Philippians chapter 3. He had such a murderous reputation that even after his conversion, a lot of the Christians still weren't quite sure about him. They still lived in, in fear of him. We read that in in the, later in this chapter, in Acts chapter 9. We read it here with Ananias, the verses that we just read. 
And then later in this chapter, we'll see that the disciples down in Jerusalem also were kind of wary about this guy and about his newfound faith because he had such a reputation for persecuting the church. So how did he get to be this zealous terrorist that was persecuting the church? Well, we know that he was born in Tarsus. He was born about the same time that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And some scholars say they were born the same year. His father was a native of Palestine, but also a Roman citizen, which gave Paul his Roman citizenship. And uh, his dad was a merchant, a Pharisee. Uh, we know a little bit about his family. We know he had at least one sister and one nephew. Uh, we read about that later in the book of Acts. Basically, if you look at the life of Saul of Tarsus, it falls into three uh, periods or three phases. The first was his rabbinic training and service. And then his career as a persecutor against the church. And then uh, the, the most prominent part of his life was as a leader of the early New Testament church. His education, he, he went to trade school. He was a tent maker by trade. But he also most likely matriculated in the most famous university in Tarsus, which is one of the three most prestigious universities in all of the Roman Empire. And then he went to Jerusalem for his rabbinical training, where he trained under the scholar uh, Gamaliel. So he probably was serving as a lawyer in what was uh, then the Supreme Court, that is the Sanhedrin Council. And he was on everybody's short list to become a member of the Sanhedrin. So that's kind of where we pick things up here in chapter 9. Verse 1 says that he was breathing out threats and murders. Uh, he was, uh, verse 2, he was seeking arrest warrants to go up to Damascus and to arrest anybody he could find there that claimed to be a follower of Christ. And um, he was kind of public enemy number one uh, uh, against the church. So in verse 3, he's on this, this Transjordan road, this desert road that leads from Jerusalem up to Damascus. Uh, he, he would tell us later in Acts chapter 22 that it was uh, the time of day was about noon, high noon. The sun was at its at its zenith and the brightest part of the day, and yet this light that shines on him from heaven is so bright that it dims the noonday sun. And um, in in Greek, it is the same word that's translated elsewhere in the New Testament as a, a bolt of lightning. And yet, we think of lightning as a flash of lightning. This was a lightning that that flashed but then stayed lit, if you will, for for these moments when he's having this, this conversation with the Lord Jesus. Paul is thrown to the ground. A voice speaks to him in Hebrew. Acts chapter 26 tells us that the voice spoke in Hebrew and said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And um, Paul asked who this was, and he said, I am, I am Jesus. Jesus was the name that Paul hated the most. It was the name he detested. It was the name that he was trying to wipe from the face of the earth. And uh, isn't it interesting that Jesus says, I am, I am Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? Well, by this time, Jesus had already ascended into heaven. We saw that in Acts chapter 1. So how could Saul be persecuting the Lord Jesus? Jesus so closely identifies with his church that to persecute them is to persecute the Lord Jesus himself. And so he says, why are you persecuting me? 
that should be a truth that is of great comfort to saints in Sudan and Indonesia and China and elsewhere where there is persecution today. Um, that to persecute a believer is to persecute the Lord Jesus. He enters into our suffering with us. He recognizes that this is God speaking to him, and Jesus specifically identifies himself as Jesus. And so now he is struck blind, and quite possibly the Christians who had already heard about his coming to Damascus for the purpose of arresting Christians sees him now being led by the hand into the city, a threat to no one, unable to see, struck blind, and there he is three days uh, trying to um, just figure out what has just happened, contemplating this episode on the road to Damascus. God calls a brother there in Damascus named Ananias to go and lay hands on Saul and to see uh, or to regain his sight so that he can see again. And so he does, and Paul remains there with the Christians for some time. Well, let me close today by just drawing some applications for you from this passage. Number one, I would say, I think this passage teaches us, uh, the context teaches us not to be discouraged when we don't see visible fruit from faithful ministry. Think about this. Stephen never saw the impact that his argument before the Sanhedrin, his godly life, uh, his defense of the gospel ever made on the life of Paul and therefore on the life of the New Testament church. He was just faithful, faithful unto death, and yet he never got to see the fruit of that through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Don't be discouraged when you may not see visible fruit from your faithful ministry. Another application is that we need to recognize that God can use suffering and persecution to accomplish His purposes and bring glory to His name. He's sovereign even in the midst of suffering and persecution. These believers were being arrested. They were being beaten. Some of them were being put to death. And yet God used that uh, as part of the story that He was weaving to bring Saul to salvation and to use him to spread the gospel to the known world. Um, I would also say that this passage teaches us that God sovereignly positions believers to go about preaching the Word of God. He puts us where He wants us. He put Ananias where He wanted him. He had Saul on that road just at the right time. Uh, and God puts us where He wants us to, to be effective in His kingdom work. He's put you in the family He has you in. He's given you the job that He wants you to be in. He, he's put you at the school that you're at. Realize that God has placed you there with a missionary purpose. Maybe he's calling you to go overseas to the mission field. Maybe he's calling you to go across the street to your neighbors. Whether it is to your neighbors or to the nations, God calls us and puts us in his kingdom where he wants us to serve him. The last application I would share with you is that we can rejoice that God can save the most unlikely sinner. If you have someone that you've been burdened about for their salvation, but you think they're so far from God, they're most unlikely to ever repent and put their faith in Christ. Take heart that God can save the most unlikely sinner and did when he saved Saul of Tarsus. Keep praying, be faithful, keep sharing with that loved one, and trust that God will bring them to faith in Christ. Salvation is of the Lord and salvation is in his hands, but certainly he's put that burden on your heart for a reason. So just be faithful to continue to pray. That concludes our study of Acts chapter 9 in the conversion of Saul. And uh, we look forward to having you join the Defender podcast again next week.
Thanks, David. This week, we are praying for the country of Hungary. We are praying that more families would enter the program because of the consistency of younger children we are seeing. Families are also finishing the process in 12 to 14 months, and so we, we desperately need more families for these children. There are children that need families in Hungary. We're praying for the discrimination against the Roma child and, and the Roma population as a whole in Hungary. We're praying that the Lord would protect these families and these children from discrimination. We're praying for two families who will meet their children uh, within this next month and uh, for, for gentleness and for, for just an opportunity there. We're praying for our Lifeline team, for Josh and Jana and Brianna and Toria. And we're praying for our team member, Adam, as he navigates the adoption process in Hungary and pray as he continues building relationships with government officials. We're praying for the country as a whole. Many Hungarians call themselves Christians, but most families have described it as a spiritually dark country. So many strong religious traditions are in Hungary, which causes them to, to hang on to the traditions and not to the gospel. Pray that our families will continue to share the gospel when they travel and for opportunities for our staff to be lights in the darkness on, for the on-ground team. Pray that the Ministry of Human Resources, the Department of Family and Demographic Affairs, uh, the Central Authority in Hungary will continue to be in favor of intercountry adoption and see the urgency in preparing the paperwork for these children. Pray for our contacts at the U.S. Embassy who always are so very helpful for our families and for these children. Praise the Lord for families who are called to adopt from Hungary. And praise the Lord for the 12 children who came from home from Hungary in 2018. And praise the Lord for Adam Simon and all he does for these families. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to work in the country of Hungary. And Lord, we just ask that as we see families to adopt these children, that they would be emissaries of your gospel and emissaries of the light in a dark place. We pray that the gospel would go forth to all of our contacts. And Lord, we just also pray that Adam would, would come to saving faith in you. And, and Lord, that you would just use families and our staff to prick his heart and you would open and soften his heart to your gospel. Lord, we pray for more families to come into this program uh, to adopt children from hungry who desperately need homes. And we pray specifically for the Roma child and that population as a whole, that you would protect their hearts, their minds, and Lord, that you would open their hearts to the gospel, Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for the opportunity to work for hungry. We know that you're working there, and we pray that you would strengthen the church to be the light of the gospel to those on the ground. In your name we pray, amen. Well, thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel for you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again tomorrow for the Defender Podcast.